0: So this time last year, we um, began uh, studying together uh, the Book of Exodus. Um, we followed the Hebrew children uh, from slavery in Egypt uh, to uh, the conquest and settling of the Promised Land, and uh, then we took a break. And now, um, now we're uh, we're starting season two of the Hebrew Bible. And um, and so, we pick up three hundred years later. There's this long period called the period of the judges. And during this period, uh, Israel was not really a nation. It was just a loose confederation of twelve tribes. And these twelve family clans um, had their own uh, had their own territories. And uh, they uh, were often uh, getting in fights with each other, territorial sort of disputes. And they would only really come together whenever they were threatened by an outside enemy. And during those times, God would raise up what was called a judge, um, uh, a a military leader, uh, a temporary ruler, um, who would help them defeat their enemies, And then they would, uh, once the danger was over, they would go back uh, to these 12 sort of self-governing tribes. And during this period of 300 years, we're told that there was no king in Israel those days, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, It was a time of kind of moral drift. Um, uh, the, uh, the values that had, uh, that had been um, taught to them by, uh, by Moses and Joshua were just gradually sort of slipping away. And um, this national unity that they had when they had come into the promised land was sort of broken down, um, and they became a more tribal society. And so we're going to pick up this fall after this 300 years uh, uh, and we're going to study the time of the biblical kings, um, Saul, David, and Solomon, and see how God raised up these kings to um, lead the people. And so our story begins um, with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of our Lord. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. That's how our scripture reading this morning starts out. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were not many visions. See, I think when we think about Bible times, if you're like me, we have a tendency to just sort of, in our brain, we just kind of flatten it all out. And we think of it as just like one time, right? When, um, when David was there and Noah was there and, and Jonah was there and they all kind of exist in this one time and place called Bible times. And if we're careful, we don't even really think about it as history, right? We just think of it as like this other, you know, sort of, time and place, right? But when we're talking about Bible times, we're talking about a period in history that spans a thousand, maybe more, years. It's a long, long period of time. I bring this up because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. When we think of Bible times as this one time, we we just see like all this activity, poof, God's here, poof, God's there. And, And we just think of it as this time when God is super active and we just sort of say, well, today is not like that. God was active in doing miracles and, and speaking to people in transformative ways back in Bible times. But today, he's not really like that. But you see, God did have these, these bursts of activities, but then there were like these periods of like two, 300 years. Not much was going on. When you think about it, the people uh, in Samuel's day and time were 300 years removed from, from, uh, from, from Joshua and Moses and Aaron. These were the founders of their nation some 300 years ago. They would have thought about them the way we think of, uh, of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington as these founders, but not really of our time. Right, These people that, that founded their nation and, and gave them these great values to hold on to, but really weren't around anymore, and these days are a lot different. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. People really didn't have visions, right? Think about this for a second. We're, we're, our story this morning is this far into the Bible. This little pinch of paper right here, and we've got all of this to go, right? This little pinch of paper. And people thought God was done speaking. And people thought God was done moving. And people look back to the past and look back to the days of the Exodus and say, that is as good as it's ever going to be. That is as much as God is ever going to move. If only people in Samuel's day said it could be like it was back in Bible times. And yet God had so much more in store for his people. And he still does. I think a lot of us fall into that Bible times trap, and, and we say, oh, well, well, God moved, and God spoke, and, and God did amazing things, and God worked in miracles back in Bible times. But today, the word of the Lord is rare. Today, he doesn't really speak. I wonder how many of us would describe the Word of the Lord as being rare in our own lives. We can remember a, a period maybe when we were first on fire for God, when we were first Christian, when, when we felt like God was always speaking to us. But It seems a little rare these days. It seems like he doesn't quite speak the way he used to. Back in those times but God is always speaking. God is always speaking. We're just not always listening. This is what I mean. Right now, in this room, all of us are being bombarded by radio waves. Constantly. They're running through your body right now, these radio waves. Now, No one's picking up any stations right now, are they? Because you're supposed to be paying attention to me, right? (laughs) What do we have to do? We have to stick up our antenna, right? Right? God's like that. God's always speaking. His voice is always broadcasting, right? But we are not always listening. I'm going to show you what I mean here in a second. Let's uh, look at this passage closely. And ask ourselves the question, why is it that Samuel receives God's voice? Why is it that Samuel hears the word of the Lord? What is he doing different than Eli or his brothers? I think we have the answer right here, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Eli's lying down in his usual place, which is somewhere different than where Samuel is lying down. Samuel is lying down in the temple by the ark. See, the ancient Israelites thought about God kind of differently than we do. Their view of God changed over time um, as, as they experienced God in different ways. But during this time and place, um, the, the, the Israelites believed that if you wanted to talk to God, and if you wanted to hear from God, there was one place in particular to do it. And that was at the temple in Shiloh in the sanctuary in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I get to talk about Indiana Jones two weeks in a row. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, most of us picture, right, that, that, that gold box from Indiana Jones, right? And it's got the, uh, the two um, angels and their wings are just kind of touching together, right? And that place where the two wings touch, uh, where the, ter- the, the wings of the cherubim touch together, was what was called the mercy seat. And at this time, it was believed that when the mercy, when the ark of God was standing right here in the sanctuary and uh, and, 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 and the mercy seat was right here, that God would appear over the mercy seat. That was his throne. That was his chair in his temple. And so if you wanted God to go out with you into battle, you had to. You took the ark with you so that he would have his chair as he rode out into battle with you. That's not the way they always thought of God, but at the very earliest time, that's the way they conceived of God. If you wanted to hear God's voice, you had to draw near to him. You had to be at the place where he speaks. And at the beginning of this story, Eli is in his usual place which is not by the ark of God. The only one who's within hearing range of God, the only one who's got his antenna up, the only one who is in a place where he can hear God's voice is Samuel. Samuel is sleeping before the ark of God. Samuel is by the mercy seat. Samuel is where he can hear God's voice. See, God hadn't stopped speaking in those days. People had stopped listening. People had stopped returning to the place where they were used to hearing his voice, right? And and if you do our devotion this week, um, you you can read the whole story, the first three chapters of Samuel and all about what what the, the priesthood was like in Shiloh, but basically it was falling apart. Um, Eli had these two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, and uh, these two sons uh, were not conducting um, the offerings the way they were supposed to. Um, They were supposed to um, sacrifice part of it to God, and then they got to eat part of it. And um, these two sons, the Bible said, were scoundrels, were basically keeping all the meat for themselves. They were robbing from the cookie jar, Right? They were serving their own desires and not the desires of the Lord. So is it any wonder, at the beginning of this story, they're nowhere to be found. Eli's own sons, who who were supposed to inherit the priesthood, they're not sitting at the mercy seat. They're not laying at the mercy seat. Eli himself is not laying at the mercy seat. The only one is this 12-year-old punk kid named Samuel. He's the only one who's anywhere within range of God's voice. I've discovered in my own time, sometimes punk 12-year-old kids are the only ones anywhere in range of God's voice. Sometimes they're the ones with their antenna up and they're the ones that are receiving those messages. The word of the Lord was rare in those days and not many people had visions. Was it because God wasn't speaking or well, because the people had stopped listening? See, you and I are called to draw near. God. Now, of course, we have a different understanding. We know that we don't have to be um, in front of a physical uh, uh, mercy seat to be close to God, that God can speak to us whenever and wherever we are. And yet, we also understand that there are special times and special places when we hear God more clearly. That there are special habits that if we, if we uh, apply them to our lives, we hear God more clearly. There are ways in our own lives that we can draw near to the mercy seat. That we can put our antenna up and be in a place where we can hear God's voice. I love the story of the businessman and the farmer. The businessman owns the farm. Right, but the farmer does all the work, and the farmer's out there uh, feeding his mule every day, and the businessman's looking at his ledger and he's like, "Man, if we could just cut down what we are feeding these animals, uh, we'd be running a much more efficient farm." And so he goes out one day to watch the farmer feeding the mule, and he's just taken aback by how much uh, how much this guy is feeding the mule. And so he says, "Okay." I'm going to, I'm going to um, take over the mule feeding for a month, and I want to show you how it's done, right? And so, uh, so the businessman starts out feeding the mule um, what, what it's used to being fed, but every day it's less and less and less and less, right? Well, this goes on for about a month, and then the mule dies, right? <laughs> Just feeding it less and less and less each day, and when the mule dies the businessman calls the farmer over and he says it's such a shame if that mule hadn't died i think i could have got it down to one meal a week (laughs) right here's the point one meal a week won't feed anybody one meal a week won't feed anybody i hope i pray that worship on Sunday morning is a nourishing, filling meal for you. But it's not going to feed you all week. I hope and pray you come from here this morning with with a a word stuck in your brain and stuck in your heart, and and it gets you to Monday, right? I, I hope and pray that for you. But it's not going to last you the whole week. Deuteronomy says... Uh, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word falls from the mouth of God. God's word is our nourishment. And some of us are painfully undernourished. Some of us are on the verge of spiritual death because we think that one meal on Sunday morning is enough for us. Just to drive by the mercy seat one day a week, or, or even on Wednesday, maybe, is going to be enough for us. you got to feed yourself every day. You got to have a steady diet. And I'm talking about two things. You really want to hear the word of the Lord in your life? You really want to hear God speak to you in your life? I'm talking about two things you learned about in Sunday school. Pray and read the Bible. It's not much harder than that. Pray and read the Bible. Now, it's my job to teach you how to do both of those things. And so I'm going to try, just in, in the space of the little time we have left here, to give you some practical pointers to help you start this week praying and reading the Bible. One, I got these pieces of paper back here that you can get as you leave, called the pastor's devo of some some uh, uh, Bible passages and some prayers you can use to help you pray and read the Bible throughout the week. But here's what I've learned about prayer: you have to make time and it's in a space, and you have to guard it jealously, right? No one, no one, I promise, in the world, no one in the world cares about your prayer life the way you do. You have to be willing to say, this 30 minutes, this hour is set aside, and I'm not doing anything else, and I'm saying no to everything else until I do this, Right? Um, Martin Luther said, I am so busy, I cannot afford to pray for any less than three hours a day, right? In other words, the busier we are, the more we need to be on our knees, because the more we need to be inviting God into all of these important situations that we find ourselves in. Find a time and a place that works for you and guard it jealously, If you're a morning person, it's in the morning. If you're an evening person, it's in the evening. Don't try to be someone you're not. Just find the time and place that works best for you. And find the way that works best for you. You know there were more than one way to pray? I think we teach people sometimes in the church, like we start with the hardest way. Like, pray silently. Who here has been taught you need to pray silently? Just me? Okay. Um, I was hoping for like, hey, everyone. All right, yeah, uh, pray silently. We tell people pray silently, like that's the most spiritual way. Here's what happens when I pray silently. I start out, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. And then I'm thinking about comic books. And then I'm thinking about the Cincinnati Reds. And then I fall asleep, right? And um, I'm sure Jesus appreciates that time with me, but it could be better right? I need to pray out loud because I have, I'm sure, undiagnosed ADD, right? They just weren't slapping that label on everybody when I was a kid, but I'm sure I got it up here, right? And I just, I need to pray out loud so I can hear myself saying the words and so that I know I'm awake, right? I need to pray out loud, which means I have to find a time and a place when no one else is around, because I feel goofy doing it when people are around. And so I need like my own little time and place where I'm by myself. Other people, other people need like a written prayer because they get all tripped up on their words. And they, they hear people pray on TV and they're like eloquent poets and they're like, oh, I can't talk like that. And, and, and so they just don't want to pray. And if, the, if, if having something written helps you out, use it. That's not wrong. We just got done reading the book of Psalms together. That's why it was written, to give people written prayers to use. Because, and this is my last point about prayer, the speaking actually isn't that important. The important part is the listening. And I honestly believe like prayer should be 25% speaking and 75% listening. See, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but you don't have any special information that God doesn't already have, right? You're not like a secret little spy on earth right? And he's waiting to hear from you. It's like, oh, what's Danny up to? I need to know. He needs to pray, right? Um, He already knows what's going on, Jesus says, before you even ask for it. But there's something about just like we just did, laying it down at his feet that helps us There's something about receiving his guidance and his voice and his wisdom into our lives that helps us, that nourishes us. I would suggest a simple prayer, the one Eli taught Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Here's what I like to do. I'm trying not to be me, 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 but I can only speak from my experience. This works for me. I like to start out. I just kind of do the, uh, the dagger dump, right? Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm going through. Here's, the, you know, all that stuff. And then just speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then just spend some time just listening to God. And if my mind starts to wander, and it does, I say it again. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. To just kind of get back there. And what I found happens during that time is, I don't, some people do, I don't hear through the ear, right? I hear out the heart. What I mean is when, when I'm in that time of prayer and I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with God, things start to bubble up. Images of people that I need to talk to, that I need to reach out to. Um, peace about things that I was worried about solutions to problems that have been evading me. Just like suddenly, right there in prayer, aha, I've got it, this is what I'm going to do, right? Those things start to just sort of bubble out of my heart. And so I don't hear in the ear always, I hear out the heart. Different people hear different ways, that's fine. And then after a little bit of that, I like to end with the Lord's Prayer. Just kind of put a, you know, stamp on it. That's one thing, pray. If, if you're doing that, you're drawing near to the mercy seat. You're, you're where the ark is. You're where, where you hear God's voice when you're spending regular time in prayer. And the other thing is reading the Bible. Now, there's a reason it's harder to read the Bible than it is to read Tom Clancy or Harry Potter. There's a reason for that. There are parts of the Bible, this is your pastor talking to you, someone that loves the Bible. There are parts of the Bible that are boring, really dry stuff. And unfortunately, most of that is at the beginning. <laughs> and so what we do when we decide we're going to read the Bible, and we decide this year I'm going to read the Bible in a year, right? In we January, January, we're hot because we're in Genesis, and Genesis is exciting, and there's all these stories from my childhood, and I, I never saw it like that, and, and, and wow, this, I'm, I'm glad to be revisiting this stuff. And then we get to Exodus, and the Red Sea parts, and it starts to slow down, and then you're in Leviticus. And Leviticus is a nightmare. It is like, um, it's like like chapters upon chapters of God saying exactly how he wants his special tent and, and what size pegs to use, and all, all these kinds of things, and, and 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 how to sacrifice the animals, and then you get to numbers, and that's boring, and then you get to Deuteronomy. and and like all the all the boring stuff is at the beginning. And so you're in March, and you've not read the Bible in a month, right? I would like to suggest to you, maybe you don't have to start at the beginning. You know where you should start where you're most interested, right? I always wanted to read this book. Start there, because you'll build that habit. You guys circle around to all of it eventually, but when you've read the gospel a couple of times, even Leviticus kind of comes alive to you, because you're like, that points me to Jesus in a way. I, I see something I read over here a little bit differently because I'm reading this, right? And so if you just start, where your mind already wants to go, that'll help you. And and my other suggestion, don't do a reading plan, right? Because here's what happens with the reading plan. Day one, these verses. Day two, these verses, especially if there's a date on it. January 2nd, read this. January 3rd, read that. What happens, you're January 5th, you've missed two days, and you're like struggling to keep up, and you're punishing yourself, and you're being ungraceful with yourself, what I like to do, again, this is just me, I have a bookmark. In the space of a cup of coffee, I see how far I can push it. That's, you know, that's, that's my Regan plan. How far can I get this bookmark in the space of a cup of coffee? And you'd be surprised because you can't guzzle coffee, right? A cup of coffee will get you about five chapters through the Bible if you're not putting pressure on yourself. Anyway, you don't have to do it the way I do it. I'm just just throwing these things out there. You find a pace and a language and a way that works best for you. Language, super important. You know what the best version of the Bible to read is? I'm going to tell you, people are having debates. The Baptists say this, the Pentecostals say that. I'm going to settle it right here. Here's the best version of the Bible to read. The one you will pick up and read and understand, right? That's the best one. Some of us, granny and granddaddy, read the King James Version Bible. It just did not sound right to our ears and to our hearts if we're not reading that King James Version Bible. Great. Go forth and read that. Others like me, I try to read that King James Version Bible, I have to read the same passage like five times before I even know what it's saying to me. Like, I don't find the language natural to me. I, I, it just, I, I just have trouble with it. And so I need a translation. I need the idiot translation that's like as simple and plain as day. I need the, the, the Forrest Gump Bible, right? That's fine, too. It's called the New Living Translation. It's out there. <laughs> um, but anyways, the best translation is the one you're going to pick up and read. Because the most accurate to the Greek Hebrew version of the Bible does you no good if it's collecting dust on your shelf, right? The best translation is the one that you're going to pick up and read. All right. All that stuff wasn't inspiring. It was practical. But I hope it helps you. Because here's the deal. We live in a time where people say the word of the Lord is rare, even though it can be found on any bookshelf in any bookstore in this country. We live in a time when they say the word of the Lord is rare. We've been here before. Samuel lived in a time when they said the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord was rare in the 1500s. When, when the only church was the Roman Catholic Church, it kept falling into a kind of moral decay. And, and, and people were more concerned about the outside trappings than the inward religion. And the word of the Lord felt rare, and there were not many visions in those days. And then this man, this, this, this monk named Martin Luther... He was reading his Bible one day like he always did. His regular habit he had. And he came across the words uh, in the book of Romans, right? Like he said, by grace we are saved through faith and not by works lest anyone should boast. And those words flipped his heart upside down. He said, we, how come I've never seen this before? We've been doing it all wrong, right? And the Protestant... Reformation was started right there and then, because he had put himself in a place where he could hear God's voice. During the 1800s, the uh, the um, Anglican church had become sort of um, dry and dusty, and people were going to church, and... Uh, and it really wasn't feeding anybody, so attendance was dwindling, especially in England. It was just becoming more and more secular. And there was this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name was John Wesley. And John Wesley was a priest. His dad was a priest. He'd been in the church all his life. Um, people, people nicknamed him and his friends the Methodist because they were always praying and reading the Bible at a certain time every day. They had a method to the way they did everything. And It was an insult. Well, he writes in his journal, I went quite against my will to a Bible study at Aldersgate Street. He didn't even want to go. but He was just in the habit of doing it, right? Anyone ever woke up on Sunday morning, you don't want to go, but you're in the habit of doing it? So you go just because you're in the habit? You don't have to raise your hand, but I feel your heart raising up. Um, uh, but he was just in the habit of doing it, right? And he gets there. And they're reading, I'm not kidding, Martin Luther's preface uh, to the book of Romans, right? They're not even in the book of Romans, just but Martin Luther explaining it. And he says, I felt my heart strangely and mysteriously warmed. And he said, at that moment, he'd been a priest his whole life. His daddy was a priest. Uh, His mommy was even kind of a priest. It was weird. And uh, he, he'd he been in the church his whole life, and he said, at that moment, I felt for the first time that God really did save me. And and, and and I felt my heart warm, and I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was saved, that Jesus had intervened for my sins. And he was excited about it. And, and he went out, and, and he told everyone that could listen, or that would listen, and he stood out and, and like in front of in front of the mines as the miners were coming, you know, out of, out of the hole, and he was preaching to them. And they said, you know, these they they had these blackened faces, but you could see the tear streaks of the tears coming down their cheeks because of the way John Wesley was preaching the gospel in a day and age when the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord is rare these days. But I wonder, I wonder if someone from Sydney United Methodist Church is ready to hear that voice. I wonder if someone's going to be in prayer. I wonder if someone's going to open their Bible and God is going to speak to them just like he used to in Bible times. Because when we are praying, when we are searching Scripture, when our antenna is up, God is speaking, and we discover all times, our times, our Bible times. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.